Hello, welcome to Canadian Real Estate Investing Deal Deep Dive. I'm your host, Jeremy. The Deal Deep Dive offers lessons learned from Canadian investors while scaling their portfolios. If you're looking to scale your investments, listen to stories from those who have already been there and what they did in your shoes. Joel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So we have a little bit of a uh, interesting show lined up here for us. Uh, Joel, you're not our, our usual type of guest we have. You're not only an investor, but uh, you're my realtor. I am indeed your realtor. little unique situation, but... Absolutely. Uh, one of the best realtors in Edmonton and probably probably Canada, to be quite honest, uh, to our listeners here. Too kind. Uh, very appreciative, actually. <laughs> so, Joel, for those who don't know you yet, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? What do you do? How did you get started in real estate? Yeah, certainly. Um, so I actually started investing before I became a realtor. Uh, I was back in the latter half of 2018, starting 2019. Um, without getting too much into it, I come from the fitness repair background. I ran a fitness repair company, uh, scaled that, started it in 2015, but then realized that there was a bit of a glass ceiling uh, in the business. I couldn't really scale it to a business that I wanted to be. So started exploring other avenues, and I've always thought about real estate ever since I was younger. Uh, back during university in the summers, I'd do renovation work. Um, so I always kind of had my eye on it, but I never really knew where to start or how to get into it. it seemed just a little unattainable. So yeah, back in um, 2018, started doing research on it and was actually um, mentored by the, uh, unfortunately, the late Stefan Arneo. Um, he had a, for those people that don't know, he had a mentorship program uh, about how to get started in real estate, did his uh, program and then, yeah, bought my first, uh, was supposed to be flip in, uh, end of 2018. I kind of went from the mentality of, let me buy the cheapest house I can find. And that way I can mitigate my risk. Didn't end up working out as planned. Um, basically, yeah, with that house, we, uh, we wanted to flip it. Renovations were all done. Um, there were some foundation issues that we weren't aware of, so wasn't getting any offers that I wanted. Uh, so I ended up holding that as a rental project, a rental property, sorry. But on the good side, it for the last four years has cash flowed $200 a month and um, has actually been a decent rental. So fast forward, I know we'll get into it a bit more, but just kind of the overarching theme. Um, started doing some more flips while running the fitness repair company still and realized that it was a little too much juggling everything. So I um, I was kind of thinking, I've been looking at so many deals, why not get my realtor's license? I had actually met up with Kelvin Hexter of Kelvin Realty, and uh, he sold one of my flips. We kind of got to talking. Um, we were a good match, uh, kind of on the same wavelength. And so when I told him that I was thinking about becoming a realtor, um, and I wouldn't be needing his services anymore instead of, you know, being mad that he's losing a client. He actually turned around and just said, well, why don't you join our team? Um, so, so yeah, instead of, uh, just doing my own deals, I've actually joined with, uh, Kelvin Realty and that was in March of this year. And, um, yeah, that's kind of how you and I met each other too. Absolutely. And, uh, all the deals we've had since. Exactly. Exactly. Sounds good. So what was the best deal you've ever done? What was the plan? What went right or wrong? Yeah, so the the best deal, um, it was one that we just sold a few months back. Uh, it was in the Hamptons. That's on the, the west side of the Hende, the city. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was kind of an interesting one, actually. It was a uh, bank foreclosure. Um, 
the story goes that the owner had a New Year's Eve party and kind of got out of hand. So instead of doing some repairs, he actually decided to flood the place and um, try to get an insurance claim. So, yeah, being that he wasn't that intelligent, he took a bunch of cloths, jammed them in the drains all over the house and just turned the sinks on and walked away. Um, he didn't actually remove any of the cloths from the trains when the insurance company came around. So they said, this was clearly you were not paying out anything. Unfortunately, then he defaulted on his mortgage, went into foreclosure. And um, yeah, we were able to get that. It was listed on the MLS. It just so happened uh, my real, my other realtor at the time was like, the Hamptons is a good market. Um, stuff always moves quick there. So I went on the MLS that night, found this just randomly. And when we uh, when we went to offer on it, there was already 15 other offers. Um, it had been listed for 320. And I kind of quickly did the bath. And I was like, you know what? My best and final would be 370. Let's put it in. Um, see where we go. And let's wait. Because uh, we knew what the deadline was. I was like, let's wait right before the deadline and throw it in. And of course, I don't know what the other offers are. Um, they could have been higher. They could have been lower. But I was like, this is best and final. Um, and yeah, the, the, oh, the other part of that was we weren't allowed to walk the property at all. Um, we go exterior, but we couldn't go inside, uh, because of the, the flood damage. So we had to rely on the pictures. Um, so fast forward a bit, I get the call. Um, good news. You, you won the bid. And I was thinking to myself, oh crap, I don't have money for this. <laughs> I did not have the funds to close. I just, it was kind of a whim. I didn't think we were going to win with 15 other bids. Turns out at the end of it, there was actually 20 bids on the place. Uh, five of them came in after mine. Um, or sorry, four of them came in after mine. And but they the deadline was already closed. So with foreclosures, they have a hard deadline. And even if someone offered a million dollars, they wouldn't have taken it after the deadline. Um, so yeah, we were lucky in that sense. My budget uh, was based off photos. Uh, so when we finally got access and we didn't get, we weren't allowed access even till possession date from then. So even though we had an accepted offer, we still weren't allowed to go inside the house. Um, so we finally got possession, went in and there was standing water in the basement. Um, and this was to give you a timeline. It's New Year's Eve party. Uh, we took possession in July. So that water had sat there and it honestly, uh, I was actually thinking of renting it out to shoot horror films in because it was so bad in the basement. Um, so our budget definitely changed a bit. We thought we knew the basement was going to be a write off for sure. Uh, but we thought the main floor, say the kitchen, we could keep it was the house was sorry, back up a bit. The house was built in 2005. So it was almost a brand new house. Um, go in there, open the kitchen cabinets. They're just full of mold. Um, so we weren't able to keep anything uh, from the main floor either. I fully got that, fully got the basement. And just the basement took, I believe it was three 30-yard bins, um, just demo in the basement. And I had to pay overage on two of the bins because there's it was so heavy because everything was so waterlogged. Um, so yeah, the uh, the budget obviously went up from there. Um we we were kind of shooting for an ARV of close to 500, um, high fours, right around 500. And so purchasing at 370, that doesn't leave us a lot of room. Mind you, we thought we could keep most of the kitchen. We thought we could keep a lot of things. So yeah, um, 
switched gears a little bit. Uh, thankfully, this was right during the upswing in the market. Um, so values were going up. And so that definitely worked to our advantage. Um, and I don't like to, I'm not really a lipstick renovation kind of guy. I like, sorry, excuse me. <laughs> I like to uh, to kind of just go all out um, and not really cut corners. It might not be the best way to say it, but um, but yeah, uh, I, I, I usually put in a bit more money than some people would just because I like a good finished product. So yeah, we bounced that up. Thankfully, values were going quite high. Um, we had one house down the block that listed at, I think it was 640. Um, they were a bit larger. Uh, lot size was larger, but they weren't renovated. So that was great to comp off. Um, we ended up selling the house three times. <laughs> uh, the first one accepted offer, fell through from financing. Second one, um, inspection came along. They they heard the story of the place and I guess their uncle was a lawyer and he said, Oh, there's going to be water damage throughout that whole place. There's going to be mold. They covered it all up. And the only place that they found even a hint of mold was in the attic hatch cover. And I don't know how many attics you've been in, but if it's not a perfect seal in the winter time, you have cold air in the attic and hot air coming up from the ceiling and it'll find its way through there, create condensation. And there'll be not even mold, just a little bit of black mildew there. They saw that picture in the inspection and they're like, oh, the whole house must be riddled with this stuff. Even though it wasn't, we did, took huge steps to remediate everything. So they they pulled out, unfortunately. Um, and so I was, you know, at that point, they, we'd been taken off market a few times for the pending process. Um, and yeah, I was a little apprehensive about the situation. Another offer comes in and they came in with a $35,000 deposit and no financing clause, just inspection. So I was like, okay, this is a pretty solid offer. You don't see that big of a, a down payment or sorry, a deposit that often. Um, and that went off without a hitch. Um, we ended up selling the place at $590. Um, so it was, you know, a $220,000 spread, which is quite nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, on that one, we ended up uh, profiting right around the $40,000 mark. Um, so it's quite a good deal. Um, we also had, uh, without getting too much into it, we had some setbacks. Uh, I know we we're going to touch on those, so I thought I'd bring them up too. Um, this is the first time ever we've used the uh, glue down luxury vinyl plank product. We usually use click flooring. Um, the, the glue down, uh, basically, we were sold that, you know, as long as we put an underlay, uh, we use sure ply on the main floor, that it'd be fine, it'd adhere correctly. We were putting it down. Um, this was during the big cold snap we had this last winter. Uh, it was like minus 40 almost. And turns out we put the flooring down. That night, the intake for the furnace froze over. So when we got back the next morning, it was like nine degrees in the house. So the glue has to set around 15 to 18 degrees. Um, so all the glue didn't set. All our boards were peeling up and um, it was just a mess. So we tore up the subfloor um, because, well, with that shirt ply material, you can't just peel the, the flooring off. You have to tear it on. Tore it up, redid the underlay, re-glued, relayed everything, and then we still got peeling. Um, not substantially, but there were boards that the corners were peeling up. And so then I called in, I uh, found a flooring specialist 
And he said, don't worry, it's, you're not the only one this has happened to you. I see this all the time. He's like, I don't know why these companies sell glue down products to use on a wood subfloor. He's like, I will, I refuse to do it. If somebody asks me to, I won't. He's like, it only works on a concrete subfloor. So we had to actually floor over all over top of that again with a click product. So that set us back about, I think by the end of it, by the time we got the product and him to come in and everything, it was about three weeks setback there. Um, so that was a big thing. And yeah, that was the the main issue. Um, also, I mean, our timeline was extrapolated because all the additional work that we didn't know we had to do from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was that was a pretty big setback. And the biggest lesson I learned there was never use glue down on a wood subfloor. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good lesson. Yeah, yeah. How long did you originally budget to have the property for? Um, originally, we were hoping to have it listed by March. Um, so that would have been, I think it was six months. Um, we ended up pushing another another two and a half months um, just based on all the additional work we had to do. Um, and there was, yeah, some setbacks waiting on the initial glue down product. We had to wait, I think it was three weeks just for that to arrive. And oh, and that's that's due to the flooding in Delta. Um, when the roads were blown out, of course, all the product was in Vancouver. So we couldn't get it because of the flooding. Um, but yeah, so yeah, definitely the timeline was a bit longer on that one. Sounds fair. Uh, out of curiosity, how did you finance this one? Uh, yep. So this was financed, the purchase was financed uh, through Calvert. And then the renovation itself was financed through our fund. Uh, I have a business partner, a good friend of mine down in Calgary, and we work together. He set up a limited partnership and basically does all the fundraising. Um, then that money is distributed to me to put into our projects. And yeah, so that's how we do the renovation side. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much. So what were some of the other lessons that you you learned in this deal? Uh, yeah, I learned that uh, foreclosures can be a really good deal, but there's also a lot of unknowns. The just the simple fact that I wasn't able to walk the property, do my due diligence, um, get an inspection, any of those things we weren't allowed to do. And so, I mean, thankfully things did work out, but if I didn't have the option of raising the budget, if this was say in a worse off neighborhood, uh, because the Hamptons is quite a decent neighborhood, um, we might not have been able to pull through um, for the sale price that we wanted. So. I think they can definitely be the diamond in the rough, but I wouldn't recommend them to first-time investors. Uh, just too many unknowns. Fair enough. Fair enough. So we'll, we'll switch gears here a little bit. What was the worst deal you've ever done? <laughs> what was the plan and what went right or wrong? So yeah, the the worst deal, uh, we did a flip in Westwood uh, by Nate. And yeah, that was that was kind of when I was still finding my footing. Uh, basically, we picked up the property for super cheap. Uh, it was, I think it was 225, um, small bungalow, uh, yeah, in the, the Westwood area. And it needed a fair amount of work, which we were prepared for. Um, but what we didn't realize was that the, the original owners, they, um, they had laid new carpet down in the basement. We knew there was a, uh, we could smell like a bit of moisture, um, but everything was newly painted, new carpet, new everything. Um, but what we realized was that when we took property we started lifting up the carpet and they had actually just carpeted over old waterlogged moldy carpet and so they didn't clear anything out they just put it straight over top 
And so which led us to we were we were going to keep some of the basement. Um, we actually gutted the entire thing. And turns out there was a number of vertical and horizontal cracks around the entire foundation. So we had to do a lot of structural work, um, which wasn't in the budget at all. Um, so that was a huge setback. Then also the the garage uh, had a double car garage uh, that was pretty decrepit. Um, once we started getting into it, we we thought we'd just put a few new retaining walls in because uh, the the shingles had recently been done. Um, and then we, when we started opening up walls, it turns out the walls were just completely rotted out. So we had to almost reframe the whole garage, uh, reframe the doors, um, ended up putting a lot of money into there that we didn't want to. And yeah, and then the, the rest of the project itself, uh, we, we kept the original hardwood floors, we finished them. Uh, we started putting, um, essentially just putting too much money into it. We passed, surpassed our budget. Um, and yeah renovated for too high of a standard for the area and by the time everything was said and done um our our costs were well above what we'd sell for so kind of painted myself into a corner on that one um and that's where i i figured that you know what uh the kind of build it and they will come mentality and it just didn't really fit there uh so yeah fast forward to when we were selling um essentially yeah we were listing at lower than our costs were and we ended up exiting the property at uh about negative 25 grand um so not uh definitely not a great deal uh but learned a lot of lessons on that one the other um one of the big lessons i learned because that's when i was still on the tools myself um i turned into a big bottleneck for the property because i was i was doing all the carpentry myself but also I was still running my fitness repair business. So there'd be days and you know, even if a whole week here and there where I'd have to leave the property to go to fitness work. And then that would just push everything back, all the other trades, all you know, rescheduling everything. Um, and so yeah, that became a huge issue for timeline. And just realizing that, you know, in, in your head, you think that, hey, well, if I do all this, the framing, all the carpentry, I can save a lot of money. But also you extend your timeline so much, you put everything else off. And I am pretty handy, but I'm, you know, I'm not a carpenter by trade. Um, so the work I'm doing is going to take me much longer than if I were to hire it out. And just realizing that, yeah, the costs up front might be bigger for hiring out people. But at the end of the day, you're going to, you know, everything's going to move quicker. You can schedule better. And then you can also focus on the areas that you can't hire out, you know, like, doing all the budgeting, um, where's the next deal coming from, all the background stuff. So I realized that. And then also you have to, you can't renovate beyond the, the area. Um, Westwood does have a lot of new infill going in, mostly purpose-built rentals, like fourplex with legal basement suites. Um, so that kind of led me to believe that we could get a higher price. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, when you have a smaller bungalow, it doesn't really matter the finishings you put in if you're in that kind of transitioning neighborhood. Um, yeah, so a lot of good um, expensive lessons learned there. Um, but, but yeah. It sounds fair. Yeah, super adequacy is a, a big issue for especially new flippers. Um, just over renovating the property just to not match the comps. Mm -hmm. Out of curiosity, when did you realize that uh, you were the bottleneck on your project? Um, yeah, I mean, there wasn't really an overarching moment. 
it was more so just uh, in my calendar thinking, okay, you know, whatever it was, the Thursday, I'll have the basement completely framed out and then we can move on to next steps. Um, and then that Thursday turned into Saturday, turned into Monday, turned into Wednesday because uh, the the urgency of the, the fitness repair jobs, seeing as they were contracted at work, uh, I wasn't going to push other people's jobs back for my own. So then in reality, I was just pushing myself further and further down the road. Um, so that's kind of where, where I realized it. And also on that side of things, I could make more money doing the fitness repair jobs than I could actually using my own labor on my projects. So in reality, I could have hired people to do all that work and gone and done my other business and made more money. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Great advice. So how did you recover from this one? I know you said you took a loss. Was When you had it listed, were you guys trying to sit on it for a little bit to hopefully get a higher price or how did that come uh, go at the end? Yeah. Yeah. We did sit on it for a little bit. Um, but then also this was right when we were picking up the foreclosure property and I needed the finances out of that project to go into the new project. Thankfully, we had the, the purchase price covered through Calvert. Um, but once taking possession, I needed that money to translate over. So we did end up, uh, I mean, theoretically, we could have sat for a bit longer and maybe got a higher price. Uh, but I did need to cash out of that project. So that's also kind of what we took a loss. Um, but uh, but yeah, thankfully, translating into the next project, the foreclosure, um, we did come out positive on that one. Um, so it did offset the loss. And uh, sounds like a, a little bit of a profit there, too. Exactly. Yeah. So looking back at it now, what is there any specific steps you do different with that uh, that deal? Uh, yeah. I mean, honestly, I probably wouldn't take it on um, with just the I've realized now. Uh, location is so important not that that was a terrible location it's just if you're going a lot of the times you're not going to see the roi depending on the location if you're going into somewhere that's not a hot market um you're just going to lose out so the other part of that too is that your labor costs and your material costs are going to be the same regardless of what area of the city you're in um you know a two by four costs the same in crestwood as it does in macaulay right so, so changing those things up and sure, you might use, a, say, a different level of finish in some projects, um, but that's not really where a lot of your cost is going to come from. Your cost is mainly going to come from the labor side of things, your trades, um, you know, depending on the trade, you're looking at, you know, 60 to 70% is labor costs versus materials, right? Um, on the rough end, of course. So realizing that, um, that the, the location is going to matter so much. And then also you can, you can get a really good finished project product, but if you're constrained by say the, the house is small, the, the structural layout of the place isn't financially feasible to rearrange. It doesn't matter what you do at that point. People still aren't going to like the end product. So it's really about choosing the right location and then making sure that the house will actually accommodate your changes and your budget. Great advice. Thank you very much. Thanks. <laughs> I know this is going to be a little different here, but would you mind sharing some of the some of the deals that you've done as a, as a realtor? Certainly. Yep. Um, yeah. So joining Kelvin's team, uh, we mainly focus on investment side. Uh, we obviously do primary homes and everything too, but that's kind of the niche that we're filling. Uh, and then bringing me on, uh, obviously coming from my investor and flipping background, that's uh, that's kind of my bread and butter. 
So that's obviously where I met you um, is, you know, you're looking to do flips. Um, I have that baseline knowledge too. So it definitely was a, you know, quite cohesive relationship. Um, and then that's also where all my other clients come from. A lot of the clients that come into the group, uh, Kelvin will pass off to me if they're super investor focused, just because I can help them out. I know the numbers. I know, you know, what to look for, what not to look for. Um, yeah. So uh, one of the first deals I did was actually a um, uh, two guys uh, business partners out of Toronto. And we they're looking for a buy and hold to put a legal basement suite in. Uh, and so, yeah, I was able to dial in exactly what uh, parameters they wanted. And we actually did the whole deal without them ever even seeing the property in person. Uh, so I was able to, yeah, lock down a place for them in McLeod, which was nice. And then I was able to also bring in um, the designer to help them out and help with a lot of professional partners. So, so that was great. Um, another deal that I did with you <laughs> was uh, your Otwell project. It was nice. We went out uh, one Sunday, I think it was, and looked at two properties and got two accepted offers. The other one passed off in the due diligence phase, but um, but yeah, that was great. Um, it's also it was also great working with you because you knew what you're looking for. Uh, you've done your research clearly, and you're obviously not a novice either. So not having to hold your hand so much was great. And not saying that I won't do that. Of course, I love helping new investors, but it was a nice change of pace um, to be able to you know uh, rely on you to know exactly what you're looking for. Um, so yeah, yeah, the, those were a few of the deals. I've done some other ones. Basically, uh, another client of mine, he's out of Calgary. He's building up his rental, rental portfolio. We, we've been looking uh, for a few months now, and he actually just had a mortgage window open up uh, with his bank. And he said, Joel, I need to lock down a property. And this was when I was visiting my family back in BC. And so I was sitting there on the deck at the beach. <laughs> And was like, okay, pulled out the laptop, pulled up 10 properties that fit his uh, criteria. And I said, which ones of these do you like? And he said, I like that one. So called up the realtor. I was like, this is our offer. I negotiated the whole deal and got it locked down without us, either of us ever actually walking the property. So that was a nice one. And yeah, uh, it's always great when deals go like that. But I've also had the flip side, um, working with a couple doing rent to own. Uh, their investor was out of Ontario. Uh, there was definitely some bumps in that one. They were looking out in Spruce Grove, Stony Plain area. And I think we went out six or seven times, viewed probably over 20 properties. And at the end of it, um, their financing just wouldn't work with any of the deals. So killed that whole thing. You know, that was that was a long time spending out there that obviously I don't see anything back in return. So there's highs and lows, of course, right? Sometimes you get the deal sitting at the beach on your laptop. Sometimes you you know, go out for 20 plus hours and get nothing back. So uh, it's kind of like fishing, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are some of the the more interesting deals. I've done some other ones that, um, you know, I've just gone pretty well straightforward. I did uh, have a deal in Parkdale. It was a a couple. They, um, they bought this house back in 2007. Uh, they've just had a, a string of bad renters. They kind of just wanted to exit. And they, it's an old house built in the 30s, no basement. Um, and they, they were thinking, oh, we don't know if it's actually going to sell. Should we even sell? And we you know, came to a consensus uh, price that I thought would work and ended up listing. And that morning we had a showing 
they put an offer in on, it was, we ended up getting 4K under what we listed for and we closed it right then. So one day on the market and sold. Uh, so that was great, especially seeing as it was in Parkdale, just not a great neighborhood. And yeah, they were, they, I literally got a text from them saying we're doing the happy dance right now. Uh, so that was, that was nice. And yeah, so those are some of the more interesting ones. Sounds fair. And I'm sorry to hear you're working on your vacation. Oh, that's, uh, that's the life of being a realtor. So like I always say, we, it's so nice having so much free time as a realtor, but also you have no free time as a realtor. <laughs> very true. Very true. Yeah. Now you mentioned a couple times here, some, the difference between like a nicer neighborhood and a not as nice neighborhood. What makes that difference? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it depends on a lot of factors. Um, you know, depends how close you are to downtown. Obviously, you're going to get a lot more um, density of, uh, you know, less than favorable people. Um, let's put it that way, vagrants and such. Um, yeah, and also just um, infrastructure. So we have places, you know, down like Windermere that are new developments to a degree. Um, and they have, you know, a lot of a lot of money's been put in the area, a lot of stores, shopping centers, all that. And having those amenities cause, you know, higher prices, better profiles of people to go there. Um, and then we also have pockets in the city that, you know, are around, say, the River Valley. Of course, it's more valuable real estate. Um, but then there's just developing and transitioning markets, um, you know, say in that the whole kind of triangle down um, east of the university in Otwell, Gold Bar, Fulton Place, Holyrood, uh, very transitioning neighborhood, very hot neighborhood, a lot of sales going on there um, and high prices. Uh, but yeah, it, it's there's, there's also areas that don't really make sense why they're so cheap. Uh, you look at, say, Parkdale, you are kind of sandwiched in 118th Ave and 112th Ave, um, but actually deep in the neighborhood there's mature trees um lot sizes can be bigger there are smaller lots as well um but also location i mean you're an eight minute drive from downtown uh, but you find a lot of cheap real estate there and a lot of developments going on right now like the new norwood complex is a 300 million dollar project um the coliseum restoration which will take another 20 years but um you know a lot of aspects there that those are transitioning neighborhoods that I find will actually be going up. You know, I think in the next 10, 15 years, Spruce Avenue, Parkdale and Alberta Avenue, we'll see a lot higher prices there. Um, and if I, if I were a betting man and I had a large pool of money, I would just be buying up lots there now because you can get them for so cheap. Um, but yeah, yeah, I I'd say some of it, some of it is obvious. The, the infrastructure buildup, um, amenities, all that. And some of it is less obvious. It's just kind of traditionally uh, badder areas of the city. Um, so it definitely takes a bit of an eye to to find out. Obviously, you have your A-plus neighborhoods. Obviously, you have your D neighborhoods. But finding the sweet spot in between there uh, takes a bit of an eye. Sounds good. And I'm glad you have that eye, by the way. <laughs> Helps me quite a bit, too. Uh, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> so what advice would you give to investors in your area who are looking to scale their real estate business? Yeah. So first off, I would say uh, choose your niche. Um, you you get into this world and it's funny at the start, you think, oh, I wish somebody would give me an opportunity. But when you get deeper into it, you just think there's way too many opportunities. <laughs> so 
it's about being able to say no to things and, you know, finding your focus. I'm not saying that from day one, you have to say, you know what, I'm only going to buy single family bungalows in this one neighborhood. That's, you know, it, it can work, but that's being a little too narrow focused. Um, but I would say find out what what the structure of your plan is. Are you going to be a flipper? Are you going to do burrs? Um, are you going to, you know, say you have a, a decent amount of capital? Um, do you just want to do JVs with people and be a silent money partner? It all depends on your lifestyle too. If you're, you know, if you make decent money and you work a lot, but you want to transition, it does make sense to say, do a joint venture with somebody that's already working in the area and, you know, get those baby steps and learn the market. Um, because there's so many steps within the market and so many various things that you can do all the research you want. Um, but you're going to get to a point where you say, I haven't even heard of this before. Um, so getting that that first step in, uh, the whole saying analysis by paralysis is so true. Um, there's so many people out there that, you know, they'll do mentorship programs, they'll read books, they'll go on forums, and they'll be so overprepared that they scare themselves into not taking a step. Um, so I'd say, first off, define your plan. That's a, a huge one. Um, second off, be understand that you are going to make some mistakes. Um, there's going to be some hurdles um, that you know might look very difficult. This this industry isn't for the faint of heart. You have to have at least at least some sort of risk tolerance. Um, and yeah, I mean, if if you're just hoping to invest your money and make you know uh, sub five percent, you can do that so much easier. You can get into an index fund. There's countless ways to do it. This industry, you can make a lot of money, you can lose a lot of money, and everywhere in between. Um, the other part, too, is more so on the flip side. It obviously applies to rentals, but don't get emotionally involved. Um, if you, you know, that whole mentality of, like I had, oh, build it and they will come. If I just do it, make a really nice product, it doesn't so much matter the size of the place. It doesn't so matter, much matter the location. Um, and then also having a very set budget. And if you kind of think, oh, well, if I just add $1,000 here or $1,000 there, I'll make it up in the sale. And that's just not the truth. You, you may, the, you know, the classic saying, you make the money on the buy um, is so true. So those are a few, few words of advice I'd give. It sounds good. Great, great advice, by the way. Thank you. So just before we wrap up here, where can people uh, get in contact with the best realtor in Edmonton? <laughs> well uh you can always visit me on instagram um joel underscore link four if you just type joel link into instagram you'll find me um that's where i'm you know most uh prolific on i'd say um you can also email me joel at calvinrealty.ca uh those are probably the best ways to get a hold of me sounds good perfect joel thank you very much thank you so much for having me it's been great take care you too thanks